0: Good morning and welcome to the Gathering Church. My name is John Mark Redwine. I'm the lead pastor. So good to have you guys with us here today. If this is your first time with us, let me be about the sixth or seventh person to tell you that we're glad we're glad you're here, man. We're just so excited to have you and uh, man, we just really believe that this this is a church you can call home, that, that this is a place where you can belong before you believe that whoever you are, like we, we've got a place for you here that, that we want to partner with you as you kind of move down a spiritual pathway where you can know God personally, find freedom from things that have held you back your whole life, where you can discover the purpose you were created with and where you can make a difference in the world around you. So we're just... We're honored to have you this morning. I got a couple things. I'm excited to tell you about before we get going this morning. First, you saw our promotional video for student camp, and I heard there must be some students or student volunteers out there somewhere getting excited about that. Man, we we are so pumped up for Gather students and what God is going to be doing in that ministry this year, and we got some changes and exciting things happening over the next couple weeks we'll be telling you about, and uh, one of the things that we're most excited about is camp this summer. If you've got students or If you are one, uh, let me tell you something, you will never experience anything like summer camp. I mean, it is just an incredible environment to get away from your regular routine, to get out of what's ordinary, and to really step into a greater understanding of your purpose in this life. And we just want to partner with students to be able to go and enjoy that and experience that. So if you've got high schoolers or middle schoolers, or if you are one, Uh, We want to help you get there. We want to make sure you are at that camp. So after service today, you can go to our student area right outside the door and talk to Mikey, our student director, and he'll give you some information about student camp. Or if you don't have students and you'd like to be involved by uh, sponsoring or helping send some students to camp, you can talk to Mikey as well, and we'll help get you plugged in. Well, today is step three of Growth Track. Uh, If you've been coming for a while or even if it's your first Sunday, Growth Track is really just our way to help you discover your purpose. It's our, our design, our system, our plan to help you get a glimpse of the why that you're here. And so today, step three is one of the greatest parts of Growth Track. It's when we talk about what it really looks like to be on the team and talk about the culture of the gathering church and how you can join that and be a part of making, uh, making it better and better on the dream team. And so uh, that's today, right after service at 12:30. We got lunch for you. So join us for Growth Track Step Three. Well, today we are in week two of a three-part series called How To Be Social Without Media. How To Be Social Without Media. We're talking about what it looks like to be relational, to really do community in the world we live in today. In 2008, the world changed forever. Facebook became available to people outside of a college campus. And in the same year, uh, Steve Jobs introduced us to the iPhone. And ever since, we've been moving forward on a breakneck pace towards this new world of social media. In fact, the, the studies have shown that this has impacted us greatly. In 2017, Facebook released some statistics that told us that, most of, that the average of their user, the average time spent on the platform was 135 minutes. 100, over two hours a day, on Facebook for the average Facebook account holder when uh, when Apple and Samsung began to catch a a little bit of wind of what was happening in the world around us, they released this new screen time function that now on our phones, we can track and monitor how much time we spend on social media, how much time we spend looking at our phones every day. And if you're like me, when you get that notification at 9 a.m. on Sunday mornings, you do your quickest swipe that you can to not see it, because if you can't see it, then it's not real, right? We just want to, let's not acknowledge how bad this is getting, and it is really beginning to affect us. A couple years ago, a study was done amongst a research group of 1,000 randomly selected people, and in this research group, uh, one in four people said they did not have one to three friends to confide in, that they did not have a close friend at all, a quarter of the people that they talked to, and honestly, probably a few of them weren't being completely honest. I think it's higher than that. You see, as we've learned more and more to rely on our phones, on our computers, into social networks for our relational desires, we're finding that our relational needs are no longer being met because they can't be met over screen to screen. Our relational needs can only be met in real life giving relationships. So Our goal in this series is not to convince you to go back to a flip phone. That would be ridiculous. Okay, Our goal is not to convince you to not use social media and to move away from it. Our goal is simply to learn together how we move forward in the new reality that we live in. How do we continue to be the church? How do we continue to be the kind of community that we are all hungry for? Because we desperately need one another. But more and more, the art of the relationship is becoming a lost one. And so in this series, our goal has just been to learn together what it looks like to be in real, authentic community. Last week, we talked very simply about how to build relationships. For many of us, we've just kind of forgotten what it even looks like to build a relationship. Where do we get started? This week, what I want to talk about is how to care for others. How do we care for somebody? how do you really show up when somebody needs you to? I'll never forget when my first daughter was born. The whole scenario was wild. I mean, it's a child coming into this world that I'm going to be responsible for. My, my wife, one morning, I woke up, she was 37 weeks pregnant, I woke up and she was crouched on the end of our bed like a gargoyle. And, I, and it's only the best, I said after first service, I wasn't going to say that again, but it's the best description of what I woke and saw. I said, what are you doing? She said, I've been in labor all night, but I, I wanted to let you sleep. I said, well, that was very courteous of you. She's having contractions like every six minutes. If you've never had kids, that means the baby's close, okay? So I said, what should we do? She said, I don't know. I said, well, let's go for a walk. So we get up and we go for a three-mile walk around our neighborhood. It was lovely. Although we had to stop a lot because Ray was doing a lot of this. Ah, you know, and I was like, come on, let's go. You're really slowing me down. If only I would have known how slow walks were going to be from that day forward. Am I right, parents? I mean, when you, especially when they get to this height, you know, and it's like, come on. Every, every footstep is a battle. Uh, and so we go to the hospital. Actually, we don't go to the hospital yet. I decided I'd like to watch a movie. See, I would heard all these stories about people going to the hospital for hours, nine, 10, 15 hour labors. I was like, oh, that sounds terrible. Let's just watch a movie at home. So I rented The Hobbit. It's a three hour movie. It's $3.99 on Apple, iTunes. I rented it and uh, was starting to watch it. Rail gets up, runs into the restroom. I'm like, what are you doing? So my water broke. Okay. And so I'm like, all right, well, this is probably fine. We probably have enough time at least to watch the movie and then we'll go in right after that. And Raelle's worried, so I decided to call my dad. My dad's a doctor. I said, we'll get dad's stamp of approval, and then we'll finish the movie, and then we'll go to the hospital, okay? So I called my dad, and he answers, and he's like, hey, son, how's it going? I'm like, oh, hey, dad, how you doing? What are you up to? And he's like, well, we're just washing the boat. I said, oh, you're washing the boat? Did you guys go fishing today? And he said, we sure did. I said, did you catch anything? And he said, yeah, yeah, we caught a couple redfish. I said, really, And he eating size? And he said, no. And I said, all right, well, hey, anyways, uh, reason I'm calling." is Raelle's water broke and she's in the bathroom and I'm just wondering about how long I can wait before we need to go to the hospital. And my dad immediately starts to panic which I should have been doing a long time ago. And he says, right now, right now. You need to go right now. You need to go to the hospital right now. And so I drop the phone and my face is white and I gather rail. I said, we got to go right now. So we go to the hospital in an unsafe speed and we get there and four hours later, so we still had time to watch The Hobbit, I'm just saying. (laughs) Four hours later, the, the Eleanor is with us. I ordered a pizza as soon as it was done because they told me I had to wait 30 minutes to hold her. And I was like, well, then I'm going to order a pizza. I'm hungry. And I realized in this process how bad I am at caring for people. <laughs> the, the, 32 hours later, they put this tiny little human in a car seat and told us to take her home. We were like, okay, great, and I get her home, and you clip her in the car, and then when you get in the car, and if you've ever had kids before, you remember this moment, the moment when you think, oh, no, no, there's no nurse coming in here in two hours. There's nobody coming with us. We are now responsible for keeping this human child alive forever. There's no instruction manual. There's nobody to tell us how to do it. We are on our own. Our parents lived in South Carolina. We're in California. Listen, we're on our own. And what I learned in that process was that it's very difficult to care for people. In fact, I would say it's almost impossible to care for others well without being taught how to do it. In fact, I think this is true not just for kids and babies, but it's true for adults. I think that we can see this in the relationships we have with our friends. I think it looks like this. Have you ever had a friend whose life just started to unravel at the seams? Maybe it's a friend with a drinking problem, and you can see it. And they make all these comments here and there that they're crying out for help, but what are you supposed to do about it? I mean, is it really is it really even any of your business? Or maybe you have a friend who's suffered a loss. They're going through a divorce, they've lost a child, or they've lost, they've lost a a parent, and and they're trying to figure out how to move forward from there. And and you're just wondering, what are you supposed to do about it? It's clear that they're hurting, but how can you help? So you get on the Facebook post about it, you send out some good vibes or some thoughts and prayers, and you feel pretty good about yourself and move on. But I believe we're supposed to do more than that. See, caring for others is complicated. It's hard to understand what we can and should do for the people in our lives. And if we're following Jesus, then you know there's a mandate on your life to love people well. In fact, Jesus, in one of his last comments, in one of his last commands to his disciples, says this in John fifteen twelve, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. And what he's saying here isn't just to make sure you write out your notes and uh, attach a lollipop on Valentine's Day. He's not talking about just sending thoughts and prayers through a Facebook post. See, the kind of love that Jesus calls us to here is a love of action, a love that actually steps up and does the hard things in the hard moments. John elaborates in another one of his letters, 1 John 3, 16 through 18 says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and our sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or a sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, Let us not love with words or speech, but in actions and in truth. See, I think we live in a day and age of love in words and speech. I think it's what we do now. I think it's what we think is acceptable. And I think it's why so many of us are hurting and feel so alone. So what I want to talk about for a few minutes this morning is what it actually looks like to love in actions and in truth, to do what we're called to do. This is who Jesus is. This is what he's called us to be. This is what he did for his friends. And it's the standard that he set for each one of us. So this morning, let's find an answer to how to care for others in Paul's letter to the Galatians. If you've never read Galatians, it's an excellent handbook on what it means to be a Christian, why we're a Christian, what it's like to be a Christian. And in chapter 6, he gives you a great example, a great description, instructions on how to be in relationship as a follower of Jesus. So let's look at this passage today and see what we can learn about how to care for others. I think the first thing that we see is that we call them out and call them up. That we care for others by calling them out and calling them up. Galatians 6.1 says, Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly Help that person back onto the right path. And then be careful not to fall to the same temptation yourself. There's a myth in relationships. It it, it starts deep down inside of us and festers up to the surface without ever really being spoken. It's this confrontation is bad for relationships. We avoid it. At all costs, we run from it. We don't want to be in any kind of confrontation. We save confrontation for when a relationship is ending rather than bringing it into a relationship that we intend to move forward in. We think it's something to avoid or to run from. But I believe every healthy relationship requires confrontation and that we all need friends who are willing to confront us. We just have to learn the difference between confrontation based in love and confrontation for the sake of confrontation. See, I believe that a primary function of relationships is to lead us to find freedom in Jesus. I believe one of the primary goals, one of the primary functions of the community of the church, the relationships we're meant to have in the church, is to have somebody to walk with us to the kind of freedom we were created to experience. See, I believe that you, you have been given freedom, that it is waiting for you. But there is a fight to get there. And that happens through people who are willing and able to call it out of us. And if those people who are in our lives and who are in the right position to call us out and call us up are afraid to confront our struggles, then then we will never be able to walk in the freedom we were created to live in. Listen, if your brother or your sister who who you are in a relationship with is struggling in some way, struggling with some sin, some habit, some mindset, some addiction, you need to step in. Jesus set this precedent in Matthew chapter 18, verse 15. He said, if your brother sins, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. And if he listens to you, you have gained your brother. See, Jesus has called us to hold each other accountable to a higher standard, not for the sake of judging one another, but for the sake of leading one another to find freedom. Now, here's a couple things to remember about calling people up. First, call people out who you are in relationship with. Hear me on this one. Earn the right to call somebody up. Do not call people out who you do not have a relationship with. That's being judgmental. There's a big difference. See, we're not just, as the church, supposed to go around looking for people who are struggling with things and say, hey, you've got this problem, don't worry, I'm here to fix it. That's not what it's all about. It's about being side by side with somebody in relationship, earning their trust, which gives you the ability to speak into their lives. We're not here to call out people that we don't know. We're here to know somebody, to show them love first, to engage in relationship first, To show up for them first, and then we come up alongside them in recovery. Second thing to remember is don't just call people out, call them up. Give them a goal to aspire to, and then offer to go there with them. Here's a big difference between just calling somebody out and calling them up. Whether or not you're willing to partner with them in the recovery process. There are so many stories of this happening in our church that I just can't share with you yet. That They're just too fresh. It's too much going on right now that I just can't share with you. But in this room right now are people who have been called out and who have struggled with everything from alcohol to anger to pornography. And in this room are people who have said, hey, let me go with you to some meetings Hey, let me, let me refer you to a counselor, somebody that's helped me out with, hey, let me meet with you every, every Wednesday morning and help you hold you in accountability and encourage you along the recovery process. You got to be willing to help somebody by going there with them. Next thing to remember is you can't control how somebody's going to respond. You've got to remember this. You can't control people. We use the influence that we gain in a relationship to care for others. Where I have influence, I will have concern. And where I have control, I will, ena- I will enact change. You only have control over one person. That's you. You only change you. You only influence and care for others. You can't control how they're going to respond. See, ideally, when you're in relationship with somebody, they'll invite you to speak into their life. When that happens, you get to be a little bit more honest, a little bit sooner, and people usually take it pretty well. But sometimes in relationship, you have to step in while they still can't see that there's a problem. And that can go well, and it can go poorly. But we need to make a commitment to love people enough, just as they are, to call them to something better. Sometimes that hurts. Sometimes people reject it, but it's a risk we have to take so we can all move forward. This is a community where you can come as you are. This is a community where you can be broken. You can be broken at the gathering. You can be hurting at the gathering. You can be struggling at the gathering. But you need to know that this is a community where somebody's going to call something better out of you. That you can. You, it's okay to not be okay here, but it's not okay to stay that way. That we're going to come around you. We're going to be there with you in your season of hurt. But there's going to be a moment. There will always be a moment in this culture where somebody says, hey, it's time to go forward. It's time to put the pieces back together. It's time to walk forward in recovery. That's who we are. And that's who we need to be. Last thing to remember is you need to make sure that you let people do this for you. It just doesn't go one way. See, I'm sure as I've been talking about this, maybe one or two or a few names have been going through your mind of people in your life that could be called up. But what you may not realize is that right now as I'm talking about this, somebody might be thinking about you. We gotta let people call us up if we wanna speak into somebody else's life. We need to be willing and ready and able for someone to speak into ours. People call me out all the time. In fact, I created a structure in my life to intentionally be called out as often as I need it. I have an accountability partner. What that means is that there's somebody who has complete and total access to me. They know all the stuff that I'm likely to do that is gonna be a mistake, and they are there waiting to stop me from going to, to, to from making bad decisions and calling it out of me. I've even got a, a system of overseeing pastors who are three guys, that their job is to call me out when I need to be called out. One of these guys, between the four of them, is calling me out about once a week. I'm just letting you know. you got to let somebody call you out. I even ask our staff to do this for me. Uh, one time I was at a lunch. We were preparing to... Um, launched this church and uh, was having meetings with people to encourage them to to be a part of what we were doing. And I went to this first lunch with Robbie. Rob, Pastor Robbie, is he was up here just a few minutes ago, and he was the first one to kind of come on board this team with me. And he had never seen me like in a lunch meeting before, and uh, we had this lunch meeting, and my my goal was just to convince this person that we were having lunch with to be a part of this vision that God's called us to. And I gotta let you know that I'm not always very good at, at a lunch table as I could be on a stage. And the problem is I can be exactly the same at a lunch table as I am on a stage, and you gotta know there's a way you communicate vision from a stage in a way you communicate vision at a lunch table. And when I'm at this volume and at this intensity and you're sitting three feet away from me, it could be a bit much. And we walked out of there and Robbie was like, hey, can I, can I give you some feedback? And I was like, sure, man, what, whatever, anything you want. He's like, that was a bit much, bro. <laughs> that guy is not going to come to our church. <laughs> you got to tone it back, man, your intensity is just too high. You got to you got to just talk to somebody sometimes. And I was like, and he was like nervous cuz he was like, I don't know how this guy's going to take this. And, but I I learned from it. I wrote it down and the next time we went to lunch, I let Robbie do most of the talking cuz I've learned I'm never going to be very good at that. <laughs> I met with one of my accountability partners one time and I said, "Hey man, you got anything that you can help me to tell me that'll help me, you know, as we kept before we go today?" And he said, "Yeah, John Martin, there's one thing I wanted to talk to you about." I said, "Okay, what is it?" We had been at a party together a couple days prior, and one thing that I tend to do is, uh, is just kind of just when I get nervous in, a, in a, like a social situation, I just tell as many stories as I can think of, and I'm loud and obnoxious, and he just said, John Mark, I'm just going to let you know, you like have this tendency to kind of make yourself a spectacle, and I think you need to just scale that back, man. Like I think you've you got to learn when it's time to just stop being just like, the center of attention, you know what I'm saying? And I was like, well, that was kind of hurtful, John, if I'm being honest, but yeah, I know what you're saying. And now I'm working really hard. I'm not very good at it still, but to be less of a spectacle in a social situation. I'm just telling you all this about me that I don't like so you know that sometimes you're gonna be there to call somebody out, and sometimes you gotta give people the freedom and the ability and the space to call you out. It's how we grow. Sometimes it's me, sometimes it's you. This is how we get better together. Next thing, the next way that we care for others, number two, is be there when it's hard to be. Galatians 6.2 says, share each other's burdens and in this way obey the law of Christ. Do you know what the law of Christ is? Love one another the way that I have loved you. Share each other's burdens. This is how you love one another. I was in the Coast Guard for nine years, and I went to boot camp when I was 19 years old in Cape May, New Jersey, and I weighed about 135 pounds. To give you some uh, frame of reference, I'm about 150 pounds of muscle right now, and so as you can imagine, 15 pounds lighter, I was just this little fella, and I had never really worked out ever in my life, and so some of the physical aspects of boot camp were difficult for me. One time we were going for this fun run. They call it a fun run. It was not fun. But there was running, and the, it was on a beach in New Jersey in the winter time, and we all had to wear these backpacks that had about 40 pounds of weight in them, like bricks and some gear and stuff. and we had to go on this long run with these backpacks on, and I, and I made it a couple of miles with everybody. We're running in a formation, which means like this big group, everybody side by side. but I, we got about a couple of miles in and i couldn't I just couldn't keep up. I, I fell back and dropped out of the formation and The last thing that you want to do in boot camp is stand out from the crowd. So I'm way back here and everybody's up there and all the company commanders circled around me and started encouraging me, you know, just saying, you can do this, man. We believe in you. They weren't saying that. They were saying mean things. (laughs) In my head, I've changed the memory. (laughs) I'm doing my best, you know, and, and it's just hard. And our our squad leader, that's the guy who I was in boot camp with, another recruit who was given a position of leadership because of who he was. He dropped out of the lead of the formation where he had been running. He dropped back to right next to me. His name is Kozlowski. Koz grabbed my backpack off my back, said, let me see that. I said, okay, it's yours, take it. He took it off my back and he began to take things out of it. begin began to reach in and take some of the weight out of my backpack and put it in his. And he began to take some stuff out and put it in his pack. And he just kept going until it was almost empty. And he handed me back my backpack and he looked me in the eyes and he said, all right, here's what we're going to do. You're going to carry it a mile and then I'm going to carry it a mile. And we're going to do this together. And I said, okay, man, let's do it. And you need to know that the journey didn't end right there. That we were at the beginning of this run. And there were times when it was harder because I had to carry the really, really heavy pack. But I was able to do it because I wasn't doing it alone and because somebody was sharing the weights. Are you with me? Sometimes you need to let somebody share the weights. Sometimes you need to let somebody step in and lighten up your pack a little bit. It's hard to be there for people. It's taxing. It weighs on you. See, so often we just don't know how to be there or, or what we're supposed to say, but there will come a moment for each and every one of us where it just feels like the bag is too heavy. And the only way that we're going to get to the finish line is if somebody else comes alongside and switches bags with us for a little while. I want to talk about this for a moment because we live in this social media world where sympathy cards are the way that we care for one another. We, we see somebody put on, a, on, on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter that they're having a hard season. They post what it is. And next thing you know, there's 126 comments, all of them saying the same thing. You know, hey, so sorry to hear about that. Thoughts are with you. Prayers are with you. Good vibes. Listen, good vibes aren't a thing. Nobody's getting your good vibes. I'm glad that you're feeling good. Anyways, I'm gonna... we're just putting a Facebook post on. We feel pretty good about ourselves and we move on. But you need to know there is a call on us to do more than just say, I hope you're okay. James 5, verse 14 through 17 in the message, it says this. Dear friends, do you think you'll get anywhere in this if you learn all the right words, but you never do anything? Does merely talking about faith indicate that a person really has it? For instance, you come upon an old friend dressed in rags and half starved and say, good morning, friend, be clothed in Christ, be filled with the Holy Spirit and walk off without providing so much as a coat or a cup of soup, where does that get you? Isn't it obvious that God talk without God ought, God acts is outrageous nonsense? James always knew how to say it, just like it was, doesn't he? It's a way with words. Listen, we've got to show up for people. We can't just talk about it. We can't just give them some good thoughts, give them some prayers and think that we've done enough you got to show up for people when it's hard to show up. That's what it means to be a community. That's what it means to be a friend. You don't have to know what to say or what to do. Nobody's going to remember what you said during their worst moments. They are only going to remember that you were there. So make them some dinner. Drop it off and look them in the eyes and say, what do you need? Send them a text that says, I've been thinking about you. How can I help you today? Call them. Ask them if they need someone to talk to. Just be there. I had a buddy going through an alcohol addiction. And if you've ever been through recovery, or you are in it, uh, or someone you know is in it, you know that those first six months are no joke. They are hard, especially working the steps. And he was having a really hard time. And I didn't know what to say or how to be there for him. I knew that he was my friend. I cared about him. I just didn't know what to do. So I, I got lunch with him whenever he wanted and talked to him and encouraged him. I would do things like send him a text. One morning I was reading uh, my, my devotional, and I came across this passage in Lamentations, and I sent it to him. It says, Lamentations three sixteen through 24 says, He has broken my teeth with gravel. He's trampled me in the dust. I've been deprived of peace. I've forgotten what prosperity is. So I say my splendor is gone and all that I had hoped from the Lord. I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I well remember them, and my soul is downcast within me. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassion never fails. They're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I will say to myself, the Lord is my portion, so I will wait for him. And the text just said, hey man, I know it probably feels like you're chewing on rocks right now. Just remember, he's good, he's with you, he'll get you through it, wait for him. It was an easy thing for me, it didn't mean much, I was just trying to figure out what to do. This became the verse that got him through that season. He got it printed out, he looked at it every day. You just need to know that you have no idea how your small actions of showing up for people when they need you are going to impact them. We just gotta help each other by carrying each other's burdens, even when we don't know how. The third thing, to care for others, is you gotta humble yourself. You're gonna to have to humble yourself. Galatians 6.3 says, if you think you're too important to help someone, you are only fooling yourself. You are not that important. This is our memory verse in our kids' ministry this morning. <laughs> you are not that important. I'm just kidding. We wouldn't teach the kids that yet. Some of them need to learn it. You are not that important. Here's an aspect of caring for others that should be self-inherent, but I'm going to say it anyways. Caring for others requires us to think about somebody other than ourselves. See, we live in a selfish world. Look out for number one is the mantra of the world we live in. But this is the opposite of how Jesus has called us to live. One of the other things I learned when we had a baby is exactly how selfish I am. Oh my gosh, I am so selfish. Because the first couple of months of that baby, all I could think about was the mourning of the loss of being able to do whatever I wanted to do. I missed being able to just get out of a car. Listen, if you don't have kids yet, today when you go to get in your car and you just get in and you turn it on and go, you just relish that moment, okay? I I missed being able to just go to a restaurant and eat without having to worry about this whole situation. And what was going to happen there? I I, I missed just being able to do what I... Listen, I thought that I learned a lot about killing my selfishness when I got married. No, 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 no. It did not even begin until this little human entered my life who needed me all the time. You just learn how selfish you are. Listen, our, our, our first thought is so often, how do I care for me? We need to retrain it as the church and as a community of people to care for one another, we need to retrain it to think about how do I care for you? It says in Philippians 2, four through five, it's one of my life verses, I'm so bad at this. It says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. If we're gonna care for others, we've gotta learn how to humble ourselves and look after somebody else. But with that being said, it's important to set boundaries. To set boundaries. We're gonna talk about boundaries for a minute. Galatians 6, 7 says, do not be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. The old King James says, you're gonna reap what you sow. Sometimes we need to let people experience the consequences They have brought upon themselves so they can learn the lessons, those consequences were designed to teach them. I want to give you an example. If you have a son or a brother who struggles to make wise decisions and does not hold down a job, but you continue to house them for free, well beyond the limits of helping them get back on their feet, you are not caring for that person, you are enabling them. Like all things, there is a difficult balance that we need to walk between being available for people, caring for people, getting uncomfortable for people, and protecting our own health and well-being in the process. In verse 1 of the passage today, it says, being careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. We've got to be careful and set boundaries and guardrails around our lives to make sure we're not ending up in the same place as the people we're called to help. Proverbs 4.23 says, above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. We've got to set some boundaries up in order to guard our hearts. Here's what it looks like. John, you have an alcohol addiction. I want to help you beat it. Let's go to a meeting together. I will go to three with you and help you meet a sponsor. That's a boundary. I'm not going to do this forever. I expect you to take next steps on your own. John, I'll meet with you once a week to encourage you through this journey, but I can't be your accountability because I believe you need a sponsor. That's a boundary. Acknowledge what you can and cannot be in a relationship, and I'm so sorry it feels like things are falling apart right now. I can't believe you're going to lose the house. You come stay with me for the next six weeks while you figure out what's next. That's a boundary. Set a time limit that balances care for them and care for your own family. Listen, if you're the type of person who is naturally compassionate, you're blessed with the gift of compassion, maybe it has resulted in you getting into some unhealthy relationships and situations because it's hard for you to set boundaries and be okay with it. Let me tell you a story. My daughter, Eleanor, is more precious to me than I am able to explain to you in words. I love her more than I can even tell you. But one day we got out of the car and I let her out of the car and was grabbing something and she ran into our backyard and discovered every piece of mud that was in our backyard and absorbed it onto her person. I don't know how this happens. It's like a superpower. She then ran up the stairs onto our porch and ran to grab the doorknob into our house. I stopped her right there. I said, no, 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 no. I grabbed her by the hood, actually, and she went, Whoa, like that. I said, Eleanor, no, you cannot go in the house right now. Now, listen, I was just not going to allow her to go in the house with all of this mud all over her body. I'll tell you why. I needed a boundary. See, that space in there, I could not allow to have all of this in there. I needed it to be clean for my own sanity. This does not mean I did not love my daughter. This does not mean I wasn't gonna stay on the porch and make sure we got that mud off of her. It doesn't mean I wasn't gonna help her. It doesn't mean I wasn't gonna show up for her. It only means that I needed a boundary in place so that I was protected while she was being protected. Do you understand what I'm getting at here? You see, what i am sometimes you've gotta make sure that you say, listen, you can come in here, I want you to be a part of my life, I wanna let you in, I wanna be in it with you, but you need to know that all of that has to stay out there. That you can't bring that into this place. You need to know I'm willing to meet you out there. That I'm going to be there. I'm going to help clean you up. I'm going to help get you ready for what's next in your life. But all of that cannot come here. You've got to set boundaries to help them and to help you. We've got to have some clear boundaries in our life. The last thing is this. Sometimes you've got to let somebody care for you. Let someone care for you. Verse 9. So let's not get tired of doing what is good. Let's not get tired of doing what's good. At just the right time, we'll reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. There's a blessing in this for you. Blessings. Blessings. You know what I believe the blessings are that he's talking about in this passage? I believe it's the people you're going to be in relationship with. I believe if you can do this well, if you can accomplish what what the writer is talking about, caring for people like this, that there is a blessing for you if you don't give up. The blessing is you will be in real community. That you'll be in the kind of relationship you were created and designed to experience. See, I believe we need each other. It's not just a matter of how, hey, it's nice to have a good friend. It's not about that. No, God said it's not good for man to be alone. See I believe we need each other. We need the kind of relationships. The caring for one another builds. We need this kind of community. And there's a blessing in it. And the blessing is the community you build. But you only get it if you don't burn out first. If you don't give up. I think Paul, when he was writing this, he had a couple names in mind. Somebody who was doing a lot of caring for others, doing a lot of good in their church and in their communities, but then something happened. They got tired, they burned out, they gave up. That's why boundaries are important. But it's also why we need to make sure we don't try to resist it when somebody wants to care for us see sometimes it's easy to see the need in others and it's hard to see the need in us and that's why you need a community that's why you need somebody else who can see it you don't need to try to see it yourself you need to be in a life group you need to commit to a life group and build relationships where the people in that group can look at you and tell when you need someone to care for you That's why you need to be on the dream team, underneath a leader on the dream team. If you have a leader on the dream team, they're going to be looking out for you. They do what's called soul care. It means, how are you really doing? What's going on? How can I care for you today? We've got to let people care for us. We need somebody who can say, hey, JM, you look tired, man. How you doing? Or somebody who notices when you've been giving and giving and giving and giving and they step in and say, hey, how can I give to you? How can I care for you? What would make you feel cared for? And when you get somebody like that in your life, when you build that relationship, let them care for you. Don't push it away and say, no, I'm fine, I'm good. And then just slowly dip out and stop volunteering or stop stepping in as you get tired. Let someone care for you. Let someone speak life into you. Let somebody bring you a meal. Raelle and I were in a season when we started this church where we were just giving as much as we could to, to as many people as we could. We just wanted, we want to see a city changed. And we were pouring out, pouring out, pouring out. People, we had this, this, a couple things going on in our lives. People kept offering to bring us meals. We were like, nah, we're good. You send them to somebody needs them, we're fine. We're good. And one day, Ray was like, we need to stop saying no to the. I'm not telling you, I don't need you to all bring me meals. I'm just giving you an example. We need to stop saying no when they offer to bring us meals. Because we had pasta with butter tonight. Like, we got to we're too tired. Like, sometimes you got to let somebody care for you. Sometimes you, and when I was in boot camp, and and I was doing that run, when Kaz dropped back and grabbed my backpack, I need you to know that I held on to it for a second. That when he went to grab it, that I, for a minute, all the pride in me was like, no way, man, I'm doing this, you know. This is like my G.I. Jane montage. I don't know why that came to mind. G.I. Joe, I guess, would have been more appropriate. You know the part where she wants to give up, and she just doesn't? I was like, this is my moment. I'm about to win this, And I was like, no, I can't. I can't do this by myself. I've got to let him take it. I've got to let him ease my burden. I can't do it on my own. Sometimes you've got to let the pride down for a minute. You've got to admit that you need a little bit of help. And then in verse 10, it says, Therefore, whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone, especially those in the family of faith. We've got to take care of everyone. That means sometimes it's you and sometimes it's me. Sometimes I show up when you need me to And I'm there when I don't know how to be I'm just there And it means sometimes you're there for me And it means sometimes I call you out and I call you up And I say I see something better in you I see something bigger than you And I see a fight in you and we're going to fight it together Let's do this, link arms with me We can beat it, let's beat it together And sometimes you come to me and say I see this in you And we're going to kill it, we're going to stamp it out And God's got a greater thing for you in your life You see sometimes it's you, sometimes it's me That's what community is That's what relationship is. This is who we're called to be, church. You need to know that this is what's made the church so attractive for so long. That the reason that we're still here doing this, that it's growing, that it's not disappearing, that it's getting bigger, that it's not fading away, is not because of the way we do services. It's not because of of good music. It's not because of any of that. It's because of how well the church cares for each other, because it's what Jesus told us to do. That's what makes the church attractive. It's the community centered around the one who taught us what community really looks like. It's because together we're meeting the needs of our creation and we're showing other people how they were created too. That's what the church is. Let's do it together. Let's make sure that here in this place, that in this church, in this family, that this is our focus. This is our goal. This is what we do better than anything else is care for people. You know, this message today it came out, it, came, it was hard-earned. We've had a, a hard year, relationally, that, that I have. The people close to me in every circle, I've seen struggle and I've seen, I've seen hard times and I've seen loss, all of it. And I've been just trying to figure out what to do. How do we move forward? I'm not there yet, but this was a hard-earned message. And what I've learned on the other side of a difficult year is that this is who we're made to be. That This is when we shine. This is when it really matters. Is when, when the poop hits the fan. Somebody's there for you. That's the church. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for who you are, God. For the way that you created us to love one another. God, I just ask that in this room today, Father, that every person who is struggling, who is hurting, who has a fight ahead of them, that, God, you would put beside them someone to lighten the load, somebody to carry the bag for a while, somebody to say, we can do this together, God, that, Father, you would just give them someone to go through it with. And, Father, for every person in this room this morning who's going to be that somebody, give them your kind of courage, Lord, your kind of strength, your kind of compassion to come alongside and just be there with someone. God, I ask that you would give us eyes to see the people around us who are hurting and in need. Help us to see them the way you see them, Father, and to come alongside them the way you would come alongside them, God, that more and more your church would just look more and more like you. We honor you, God. We glorify you. We worship you this morning. We lift you up in Jesus' name. Amen.